This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tender? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. There's a distinct smell outside today, and that is spring. Because today is opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yesterday was opening day for the um, rest of Major League Baseball, or some of other parts of Major League Baseball. Cam Jenkins is going to give you a headline in a couple of minutes to give you the details of today, tonight's game. But also, there seems to be hail pegging off my window as I tell you about it being spring at the same time. So it's very odd what's going on over here in Kitchener, Ontario. But as spring is around the corner, I assure you. Joining us this week is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I am good, Brock. I wasn't sure where you were going with that smell comment, but uh, <laughs> it's it's been a bit of a rough week. You might notice that I sound a little off today. I've had a cold all week, so not ideal, but looking forward to today. We get to talk baseball. We get to talk some other wonderful things, and it is opening day, my favorite day of the year. So once we finish work, I plan to curl up on my couch, watch some Blue Jays, and enjoy a nice relaxing evening and probably weekend. Yes, I agree with you on all of those things. I have I have done radio while being a little bit under the weather. It's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world, so thanks for uh, sticking it out and hanging out with us, and hopefully your weekend consists of a lot of soup and, and broth, and you get back to normal uh in the coming days also joining us is go ahead go ahead it's all right also also joining us is cam jenkins cameron how are you i'm doing pretty good um yeah i was kind of wondering about your uh, small comment as well i'm like well i cleaned my place today and i showered so i don't think it's me um but yeah i think it's going to be a good weekend um, you know, uh, there's such highs and lows of being a Toronto sports fan. And this week or today, it's such a high because of the Maple Leafs and Austin Matthews, uh, you know, getting his 56th goal, the starting uh, for the Blue Jays and the Raptors are in the playoffs. So I'm just going to kind of glide into that and uh, go on the high that Toronto is right now. Uh, yeah, and trying not to get too low because inevitably uh, that might happen uh, tomorrow or within a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's tough being a sports fan in general, but particularly a Toronto sports fan is even harder. And I do kind of like this whole that I made you guys question the opening. This is something I need to uh, uh, continue to do because I had a little bit of fun with the not letting you guys know where we were going. But a place you do know where we're going is right into our headlines. Let's do it. Today marks opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays, and they will take on the Texas Rangers tonight at 7.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will break down their season with our guest, Ari Shapiro, coming up in a bit on the program. 
Kansas wins the NCAA men's tournament with a 72-69 victory over North Carolina. This is their seventh title in school history. To win this tournament once is a feat. To win it twice is really good. But to win it seven times when it is elimination games, one game, basically game seven, all the way through. That is tremendous. Congratulations. Well deserved. And uh, I hope you've had some time to celebrate. Congratulations indeed. They had to go through Duke and Mike Krzyzewski to do it. That was pretty impressive. Switching gears and talking about the women's NCAA basketball tournament, South Carolina won their final game 64-49 over University of Connecticut Huskies. This marks South Carolina's second title in school history. As Brock was saying about the men's tournament, the same can be said for the women. It's not an easy tournament at all to win, and these two schools have both had a great deal of success. Congratulations, South Carolina, and let's see if you can repeat next year. The Brooklyn Nets star Ben Simmons suffered a herniated disc, and according to head coach Steve Nash, it will be unlikely we will see him back in action until after the play-in tournament. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's take a look back at our Twitter poll from last week. How many Canadian teams do you think will make the playoffs. 80% of you said three, 20% of you said two, and nobody said four. Let's look at this week's Twitter poll question, and it is, how well do you think the Toronto Blue Jays will do this season? Make the playoffs, miss the playoffs, or win it all? Cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out on the program in a bit. Coming up next, we're going to speak with Ari Shapiro. He's going to break down the Toronto Blue Jays season, and we're going to talk all things around the league. Stay tuned for that wonderful conversation next here on The Neutral Zone. We'll be back. to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone cb number four at neutral zone cam j and number five at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the giver <laughs> Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, alongside Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. When we start using the name of our next guest, it always makes me feel great inside because it means we're talking baseball and Toronto Blue Jays. Who am I talking about? Ari Shapiro, journalist, publisher, and the host of the podcast, Whiskey and Cream, and he joins us to break down the MLB season. Ari, pleasure to have you back with us. Brock, that's such a gracious introduction, considering the fact that when we first met, which was many years ago, it seems, many, many years ago, I think maybe around 2017 or 2016, 
I never had a real opportunity to come on and be joyful or filled with any kind of reverie. My appearances were more like constant complaining and angst and sadness. So I'm here in a pretty good mood, Brock, and I appreciate the introduction. It's good to talk with you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you. Ari, let's start off by giving your thoughts on the rules that will be implement, implemented for this season. Uh, as an example, no designated on second, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, look, we all knew that the game was struggling tremendously over the past few years with what was essentially a lack of quality experience for traditionalists, meaning that once upon a time, baseball was all about unpredictability. Who was going to steal second? Who was going to drop by and uh, try to get with a set bunt? Who was going to play some kind of shift and then do some kind of uh, uh, strategy or approach that we'd, we'd never seen before? And, and that's how I became and fell in love with the game of baseball, right? I love the fact that as a traditionalist, those rules gave a lot of room for maneuverability. And unfortunately, as we know, the caretakers, the, the power brokers, all the people responsible for Major League Baseball decided that they needed to shorten the amount of time that we spent enjoying this great game and instituted a wide variety of rules that, for the most part, I, I've never been comfortable with. On a personal level, I don't like when, in order to improve the quality of your sport, you have to start performing surgery at the fundamentals of what made it so enjoyable in the first place. I think a lot more had to do with the way players are being taught at the minor leagues and looking at what it took to become a, a successful baseball player than the fact that the rules were somehow not, not in favor of the average fan. Uh, the new ones, of course, make this game a real high-octane game, especially the decision to put a runner on second in extra innings. Uh, again, for myself, I never really had a problem with the 17-inning, one nothing, you know, Dave Steed versus Jack Morris battle that took place back in the day. But I can understand why today, especially with everybody's uh, lowered uh, attention spans and ability to concentrate, why doing things like having a runner on second or giving the flexibility to keep a pitcher in a game or have, uh, have a DH uh, that, that is a dedicated aspect of the game uh, I'm not a big fan, but I understand why they exist. If anything, these rule changes have led now to a modern product where we're going to see a more balanced schedule and the opportunity for more teams to make the playoffs. And that's something I think you'll, you'll all agree was very successful on the hockey front. Uh, somehow restructuring the NHL has created for an opportunity for more fan involvement in all cities across North America. And for baseball, the hope is that this year, as many eyes and interested parties who consider themselves fans and admirers of the game actually take the time to enjoy these changes. I don't know if they'll work. I certainly am rooting for the game to get healthier as a result of them, especially in giving more teams a chance to qualify for the postseason. Now, we, of course, are in southern Ontario and mostly the GTA. So we do talk about the Toronto Blue Jays quite a bit. I'm curious what you make of their offseason. They they seem to be quite active. And personally, I like some of the changes that they've made. Well, my friend, it's hard not to like the changes that they've made. Um, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have somehow turned themselves into the modern-day representation of Beeston and Gillick working together to construct this team in their image, of course, with their baseball philosophy, of which we know is based on the fundamentals of Moneyball and, and kind of modern-day analytics that we all abide to, 
and with. Uh, this offseason was, for them, I think, nothing short of spectacular because uh, you've really got to ask yourself, when a Major League Baseball franchise loses the reigning Cy Young winner, as well as the, the third uh, runner-up or second runner-up in the MVP voting, along with a great uh, arm like uh, Stephen Matz, the kind of season he had, when you lose Marcus Semien, you lose Stephen Matz, um, you end up losing Robbie Ray. For them to be able to go out and get in, in Gaussman and in Chapman and Kikuchi, what is, I believe, by most standards of analytics, almost a wash. I mean, in terms of value for what they can expect from the players that they went out and signed and replaced these outgoing members of the team with, that was really quite remarkable. It was remarkable, remarkable especially because I think it showed a sustained desire to finally have credibility in the way that this Blue Jays team is being constructed. Uh, most people never thought this day would come because... The transition from the, if you recall, the transition from the Alex Anthopoulos era to the Mark Shapiro era was just nothing short of a disaster. It was like scorched earth policy. Any player that had left an indelible mark during those memorable 15 and 16 runs was unceremoniously either released or traded, including uh, that great fan favorite Josh Donaldson, which to this day, his name and reputation uh, carries an impact. But I've got to tell you, after getting Matt Chapman, People are going to be talking about him a lot more than any memory of Josh Donaldson. This team went out and upgraded in the positions they needed to upgrade to be considered, which is what is right now being considered by many as a World Series contender. So in the context of what they lost and how they managed to go out and sign key players to contracts that they needed, solidify a starting rotation that now has five, essentially four number two starters and a fifth just chomping at the bit, along with position players with redundancy so that if someone should falter, someone can step in and, and potentially get a shot at the job. I'd say this off season was just fantastic. And for Blue Jays fans here in Ontario, you have every reason to be excited about what this year, and quite frankly, the next three or four years have to offer in, in Canada. Now, Ari, I, I know you're in a good mood, and I don't want to put you back into the mood for 2016 or 2017 when you were uh, very nice enough to come on this program. Saying that, though, um, right now it's all Blue Jays and Sunshine, uh, Major League Baseball Network, uh, ESPN, Sportsnet. Uh, quite a few of them are picking the Jays to either win the AL East and or the World Series. Now, if you were to take a look at this team, can you find any ways that they still need to improve? Absolutely. I think it's always vital during these moments where hype and excitement has hit a fever pitch to always remind oneself to keep a greater perspective, a context, right? Uh, the Blue Jays are being exalted for a reason. They've taken the steps to show that they have what it takes to be a winning team capable of winning the World Series. But in order for them to actually get to that vaunted, hallowed place where they can win a championship, as you mentioned, Cam, the key will be to make sure that they address positional upgrades where required. Look, there's still a lot of what-ifs on this team. There is a fundamental desire to see players like Kevin Biggio and Danny Jansen finally hit their stride because the truth is, those two key positions, and of course I'm talking about second base and, and catcher, for the Blue Jays, strength up the middle is what traditionally becomes important. 
you know, you look at any championship winning baseball club and chances are their catcher, their second baseman and their center fielder are the granite rocks of success on their team. And for a Blue Jays team that has now this great nucleus of just phenomenal young players, I mean, are you kidding me? It's not enough that you have what many uh, fantasy projections regard as top 10 players in both Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, but now you've got a chance for a healthy George Springer. If he stays healthy, now you're cooking at the top of the lineup. If a Teoscar Hernandez continues to evolve into the credible baseball player he is, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. can tap into that fountain of talent, which is just not being fully capitalized on to this point in his major league career, you've got a chance to not only have a dominant infield, but a dominant outfield as well. I would like to see the Blue Jays assess the capacity of certain players as quickly as possible, because in order to be a successful team through 162 game jumped you need to have versatility you need to anticipate that you might have someone who goes down with an injury what happens if uh let's say god forbid a Vlad guerrero gets injured or if a matt chapman goes down or if the blue jays find one or two of their starters in in, in trouble you'd like to see more redundancy the great thing about this blue jays team cam is that their farm system is lights out i i don't remember a time when I felt so positively about a, a major league professional franchise in Toronto going into a season where the past is going to be something that will soon become the future in terms of the desire to see success and the future prospects that they're hoping will one day become part of the present are literally pushing those in the present who have a chance to overachieve. There's this strange dynamic this year where the Blue Jays have good, a good young nucleus, some great veteran players, and young, young prospects like uh, Moreno or Martinez, who right now are just the talk of baseball. It's really an unusual place to be in. Maybe that explains why, as you mentioned, I'm in such a, a good mood today. I love being able to be in a good mood about our Blue Jays. Um, we have a habit on this program of bringing up our good buddy, Charlie Montoyo. He got a contract extension that will keep him with the club through 2023. What are your thoughts about this? Because I'm sure some of us have our own thoughts. You know, it's ironic that uh, I don't think in his wildest dreams, Charlie Montoya would have expected this team that he has now to be this good this soon. Like he, he said all the right things when the Blue Jays decided to basically get through an era of rebuilding and retooling and, and, and rebranding. Because let's face it, up until the point where Guerrero Jr. and Bichette were ready to come on board and actually contribute in a major league fashion, uh, baseball around these parts had been gutted and, and pretty much taken for granted. And fans were really indifferent because they knew that the likelihood of competition or competitive window relied exclusively on this management group's ability to forecast. And so that expertise clearly has served them well. If Mark Shapiro has done anything extremely well that I can truly say I was wrong about very early on, it was he was able to maneuver the opportunity to find bona fide talent and to commit to players he believes will give him the best uh, established philosophical results as a baseball man. When it came to choosing the manager of this team, it is with, you know, I, I have, I am, I am filled with some regret because I'd hoped that the one who would be in charge of this young team 
should be an experienced, savvy manager who knows when to make the calls and knows when to let his players play a Cito Gaston type, if you will. And I was very highly critical last year because Montoyo, you could easily make the case, gentlemen, that he was the reason the Blue Jays didn't make the postseason. It wasn't the fact that they just came up short. It was the fact that they blew a handful of games, maybe as many as seven or eight, as a direct result of Charlie Montoyo making himself a part of the action. I'm a big believer in the adage that a successful manager is not going to win you a baseball game, but he sure as hell can lose you one. And when you're given a team to play with, you either trust your horses, let them run their course and believe in them, or you don't. And I think this year we're going to see more of a Charlie Montoyo, Cito Gaston approach where he sits back and says to himself, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet. I just got a contract extension and now I have a chance to steer and navigate this team to some really unprecedented heights. And I believe they'll get there. I, I've spent enough time in my decades following the sport, playing the sport, and understanding what baseball means to my own personal heart and soul to look at this team and say, you know, the fans are going to get something special. They're going to get something special as long as Charlie Montoyo lets the action flow naturally rather than tries to make it about himself. We're joined by Ari Shapiro, who is journalist, publisher, and the host of the podcast Whiskey and Cream. And we're talking all things Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, and I'm alongside Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. So the playoffs um, is going to be expanded by two teams this year. Do you think that the Toronto Blue Jays um, were going to be a playoff team regardless, even if there wasn't the expansion of uh, two teams? That's fair. That's that's more than fair, especially when you consider all the narrative being built around uh, all the narratives being built around how the AL East might have four teams in the postseason, which is a testament to just what a crazy division it is. I mean, I don't know about you, gentlemen, but after years of being the whipping boy in the AL East because we never spent enough money or we never had enough of the uh, inclination to compete at the highest level that Toronto was somehow a distant outpost that just happened to freakishly win back-to-back World Series and we've pretty much done nothing else since. I love that that whole narrative is now flipped on its head. Expanded playoffs means we might see Tampa, Boston, and New York, and Toronto all battling it out. And the fact that they'll be playing each other equal amounts of times across all divisions is something that fans need to be mindful of. Uh, Look, it's going to be great beating up on Baltimore 19 times a year. But the fact remains that on any given weekend set of back-to-back series, you might see the Yankees in Tampa Bay or Boston and the Yankees waltz in, and each game is going to be a competitive playoff uh, spirit. These teams need to not waste games. They have to save them against each other. They have to do, uh, using this new playoff format, you really have to focus on winning games outside of your division that you know you should be beating teams, right? I mean, let, let's be frank here. When, when an Oakland comes into town, you're not looking to take two out of three. You want to sweep them. The reason being is it's not realistic that the Blue Jays will be sweeping teams like uh, the Yankees and Tampa Bay in their division. But then when you have an offense like the Blue Jays have, and the fact that they will be getting pitchers who will be giving them six to seven to eight solid innings, you know, allowing all you have to do is allow three or four runs if you're the Blue Jays, and uh, you, you'll win. You'll win because you will literally bludge, uh, bludgeon your opponents. And uh, I miss the days of Wamco. What I love about this team is that thanks to the playoff format, I think all of North American baseball will appreciate just how 
young and exciting this Blue Jays team will be for many years to come. I'm just really, I'm really pumping their tires, as you can tell. I mean, you, you, all three of you are probably thinking, we haven't seen him this excited since the days Josh Donaldson was in town. Well, it just goes to show you, here we are, you know, a pandemic, and seven and a half years later, it's about bloody time the fans got something they deserve. Absolutely. Uh, how do you see the rest of the American League East shaping up? And where do you think everybody sort of falls in line here? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that all four teams have their own kind of like fascinating ideological reality um, with the obvious one that's as mundane and sad as imaginable or it used to be a Baltimore fan. Um, they will continue to be what is essentially an opportunity for the other four juggernauts to, uh, to pad their stats. And, and that's what they are, really. If you look at any kind of analysis of what you've got with, uh, with the Yankees and, and with the, uh, the Boston Red Sox, look, with the Yankees, there's a tradition of winning that is in their DNA. Epigenetically, the Yankees aren't used to mediocrity. They're only used to being a successful franchise that gets a huge, huge following for a reason. The problem, however, with the Yankees is that they have some players that really have to find a way to, to hit their peak and when they play the Blue Jays, be successful. And, of course, the Yankees have the talent to do that. I, I would never write them off. Uh, with Tampa Bay, you've got a team that had 100 wins last year and has Wander Franco on it. I mean, that team is just built in its very nature to be competitive, uh, as are Boston. And, and I'd say Boston is probably the weakest of the three, just simply because they've had some turnover as well. So the Blue Jays have their work cut out for them. You know, nothing's changed in this scenario where they have to take on tough competition to prove their salt, right, to prove their worth. And when you consider that last year, their run differential, which is such a phenomenal, of all the statistics that you could ever introduce somebody to the sport of baseball in judging the quality or caliber of a team, you can't really go wrong with run differential. Because after 162 games, if you're ranked third or fourth overall in baseball, out of all the teams that participate, it's abundantly clear you're able to be a competitive high-caliber, high-acting team. And, and all four of the teams that the Blue Jays in, included in that group in the AL East will have significant run differentials because they will be beating up on opposition. And the question will become, will they end up annihilating each other's efforts, which explains why some uh, projections of reputable you know, ESPN and Fangraphs and, and NLB.com are all you know, projecting the same amount of wins. They could easily annihilate each other and end up with 88 wins each. In the final analysis, we know that's not going to happen. But what we do know is that it's not going to be easy. They've got some stiff competition. For me, I would be most worried about Tampa Bay because fundamentally they're the most well-rounded ball club of the three. Couldn't agree with you more. It's going to be quite the uh, wild ride for sure. And game one of 162 gets going tonight. Ari, Thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. And we'll have you on again down the line, as we always do. Gentlemen, it's going to be a long season, but I hope that each and every one of you savor the fact that with every baseball game, it's another reason to have a little bit of respite from the pandemic, from a tough world, and to enjoy this great game. I'm glad we have it back, and I wish you all the best. Take care. Wish you all the best as well. That was Ari Shapiro joining us to chat about the Major League Baseball season, particularly the Toronto Blue Jays and the American League East. Coming up next, we're going to revisit a topic that we started last week, and it's going to be a good one. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back.
If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, alongside Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. And, you know, before we dive into this topic, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit because this topic we're going to discuss was a headline in last week. And I brought up the point in one of last week's commercial breaks. Should we uh, bring this up as a partial segment and unanimously... People were like, yeah, no, this needs a full segment. So producer Brock listened and gave a full segment for this one. So if you missed it, a entrepreneur named Sanjay Malieva has stepped up to the plate and given $1.2 million to any Olympian or Paralympian who has received a medal from the Tokyo Games or Beijing. If you have won a medal, you would receive $5,000 uh, of money. And this is the first time that the Paralympians are receiving any financial compensation, although this money is in addition to the money that the Olympians have already received. Now, I want to get both of your thoughts just from the first time you saw this. What was your initial reaction? Cam, start with you. I think it's great that is uh, money has been given to both uh, Olympians and Paralympians. Um, saying that, um, the Olympians are already getting money uh, for medals. So um, it would be nice if... You know, the, the Paralympians got uh, equal value um, because everyone's talking about wanting equity and it to be fair and so on and so forth. But uh, until the Olympic uh, Canadian Olympic Committee and the Canadian Paralympic Committee, unless they merge together, um, you're always going to have the Canadian Olympic Committee being able to get more um you know, marketing dollars or more money towards their Olympians because more people watch the Olympians. So you'll you'll never have it equitable or fair that the uh, Olympians and Paralympians are going to get the exact same amount of money um, for the medals that they receive. I thought it was a nice start. Uh, I'm very disappointed, to be honest, that this had to come from a private donor, an entrepreneur. Um, It's very generous of Mr. Malavia to donate this money. And it's nice that it's going to everyone, Olympian and Paralympian. But it is, quite frankly, still a slap in the face because as an Olympian, you are somehow valued more than a Paralympian. I know Paralympians. I see how hard Paralympians work when I am at practices and when I go to meets, it's just as challenging a life as an Olympic athlete and they should be compensated equally. Having said that, I am also the person that says, you know, thank you 
very much for your generosity because we have to start somewhere. But I am hopeful that our government gets on board and makes sure that it becomes a mandate to support both Olympians and Paralympians, whether that's through helping the CPC to advertise more, to get different sponsors, more sponsors, whatever that looks like. We need to support our Paralympians the same as we do our Olympians, for sure. Okay. So, I I am of two minds. And I'll take you back to last week uh, when I saw this headline and I put it out there. I was upset. I was disappointed. I was angry. I had all of the emotions, which is why I said to the crew that was with me last week on the commercial break, can we discuss this? And they very rightfully reined me in because I'm not sure at that moment in time if you would have got a succinct answer as you're going to now from me. Because the way I looked at it was, this is disrespectful. It's all those things. However, a week away now from this, I have a different light. Is it up to Mr. Malieva to make the decision to say, I'm only going to give this to Paralympians. I'm only going to give this to Olympians. Whatever his decision is, whatever his thought process is. And the answer in my mind is no, not necessarily. He's decided to do this out of the generosity of his own money. And I respect that. I think, if anything, this is put Canadian Paralympic Committee on notice and the governments and all of those things to say, hey, wait a minute, there is a disparity here. There is, you know, something something not equal about this. But is it on the entrepreneur himself? No, I don't think it is. I think he needs to get the tip of the cap of thank you for your generosity and we appreciate it. And so leading into my next question here, Josh, is it fair then for us to just be happy about it? And am I on to something by saying it's really not on to this entrepreneur to, to split these hairs and make this decision? From what I have read and what I know of the situation, Brock, the entrepreneur, Mr. Mali, excuse me, Malavia, has basically said, this is the money I'm donating. This is how it should be broken down. So as I see it, his money is being distributed equally. The problem is with the CPC and with the government that funds it because they are the ones who are not putting money into that area. They have said in the past, and I, I did read an article from CBC where it was stated that the CPC's reason for not giving money to Paralympians was that they were trying to build the grassroots. I can appreciate that as an athlete that is probably considered grassroots because at this point, at 44 years old, I don't necessarily see myself representing my country anymore. 
But I would also tell you that if you're supporting the grassroots, I'd like to know which grass you're watering because on the athletic side, there are still some things that need to be fixed. So I, I respect her answer uh, because it was the president of the CPC that was interviewed. I respect her answer about where the money was put instead of giving it to medal winners. But I think it now needs to change because someone outside of your organization has said, wait a minute, athletes should be rewarded for their hard work. And it's now on the CPC and the government to, if you will, backfill what is missing to make it equal for both Olympians and Paralympians. Yeah. And you know what? Like, at the end of the day, uh, you do need to build up the grassroots because we're talking about, um, you know, on this program we've talked about before, how we want women's uh, para ice hockey there. And it's not there yet because uh, there's not enough teams around the world in order to be able to grow it. Um, so I think you do need that grassroots to be able to be built. Um, you know, the way I see it is, is that if, you know, you have an ad for a sign, and, um, you know, you put your ad for a sign in Toronto or you put your ad for a sign that's, you know, halfway between, I don't know, uh, Huntsville and Sudbury, you're going to get more people looking at it if it's in Toronto compared to if it's halfway between Huntsville and Sudbury at the end of the day. So relaying that back to the Canadian Olympic Committee, um, there's so many more people that watch olympics than paralympics so if you're a business owner you're going to be like well i want as many people to see this or my ad or my donation as possible so i'm going to give it to the olympics rather than the paralympics and just looking at it from a strictly uh you know business perspective you know I may do the same thing with my business uh, because I am disabled and, you know, because a lot of my friends are, I probably wouldn't. I put it towards disabled sports, but like, how do you get it to be equal or see Paralympians as equal? The only way you're going to get that is if you, in my opinion, get more people watching the Paralympics and then people will want to put their ads or their donations Um you know, to the Paralympic Committee, and that's just not possible right now. So the Canadian Paralympic Committee really needs to bunker down, hunker down, and, you know, get their sales team to try to get as many, uh, you know, donations as possible. And that's so hard to do, you know, and that doesn't even take into account the pandemic and so on and so forth. So it's, it's just really hard. And do I want it to be equal? Absolutely but I understand why it's not. And I'm not even sure, like as I sit here and I'm listening to you guys talk about this, it is, if 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 I had that, that amount of money to be able to do that, it's my decision what to do with it. And in this case, it's Sunday's decision what to do with it. He is not necessarily in the business of looking at, well, I have to make it equal. No, no. It's his money. It's his hard-earned money. He, he's allowed to do that. But I also do understand the argument that we've all said of like, okay, this is this is here. Josh, do you think that his generosity will put the government and the Canadian Paralympic Committee 
you know, in the forefront of saying, well, heck, if Sanjay did it, then we need to. Or do you just do you feel like it just is going to go by the wayside and nothing will change? I would love to believe that this is going to somehow shame the government into doing the right thing or the CPC or however the money trickles down. I'm not optimistic. Um, And the reason I'm not optimistic is because it's gone on this long as it is. So why would it change? And that's, that's a terribly paramount, pessimistic excuse me view but i'm just i'm not convinced that there's enough political will and i use that in a broad sense because there's there's politics at the cpc as well to to actually get this done i i hope it happens i want it to happen let's let's not make any mistake here and misunderstand i just i don't believe the will is there to make it happen Cameron, any final comment? Yeah, like at the end of the day, I don't know how much uh, the Canadian government gives to the Olympic Committee and the Paralympic Committee. Um, I just know that the Olympic Committee and Paralympic Committee, um, they get their own corporate sponsors. And that's where the uh, Paralympic Committee needs to do more to get more money, uh, you know, to be able to hopefully, um, you know, get some more money uh, for the medal winners, in my opinion. Yeah, and to to put a bow on this and to say, I I do think it was very generous of Sanjay to do this in this regard, and not only say I'm doing it for one Olympics and Paralympics, he did it for two, so that requires a lot of money, and he needs uh, kudos for that, and uh, we'll see what happens and whether this moves the needle. But I'm like Josh, I unfortunately I don't see it happening anytime soon. With that, we're going to take another break and we're going to come back and discuss a little bit about the NHL, go around the country and talk about who might make a playoff run and who might just fall short. Stay with us for that conversation. It's up next right here on AMI-audio. We'll be back. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm Brock Richardson alongside Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. Let's talk a little bit about the National Hockey League. This is uh, not a topic we have been able to talk a lot about because of the Paralympics. Some great guests we've had. And so let's uh, take a look at the Canadian teams specifically. Um, How many Canadians... Canadian teams, Cameron, do you think will make the playoffs and why or why not? And then we'll go straight over to Josh. Uh, yeah, I think three. You've got uh, in the East, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then in the West, you've got Calgary and Edmonton. I think those are the locks. Um, Vancouver and Winnipeg, I just don't see them uh, you know, winning. the Winnipeg's at 76 points as of right now, and Vancouver's at 78. And they have a couple of people that they need to 
um, leapfrog over. And, you know, they have 82 points, 84 and 86 points. So I think they're definitely running out of games. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the math. That is certainly not my uh, strong suit, never has. Um, but I, I don't think they're mathematically out of it yet. But, yeah, those are the three teams that I see um, making it to the playoffs. Well, Cam, we actually agree on something. Um, oh, I make note of that. Happen? We're we're <laughs> we're in trouble. Um, I I definitely agree with you. I think Calgary has shown under Daryl Sutter that they are more than capable of making a playoff run and possibly a, a long playoff run uh, in the Western Conference until they end up with a Colorado or somebody like that. Then. At the very least, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I do think Edmonton is the second team that that makes it. I just think there's too much talent on that team. And getting rid of the coach and going with a young coach in Jay Woodcroft seems to be making a difference for that team. So I, I think they're pretty much a lock to get in at this point. And I agree that on the the east or in the east, it's uh, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that has nothing to do with me being a fan. That's just me looking at the firepower and seeing what they've been able to do this year. Um, Austin Matthews being on a run, trying to and now actually managing to set a single season scoring record is uh, is really entertaining unfortunately montreal and ottawa as i understand it are already eliminated vancouver has made a nice run after hiring bruce uh, boudreau and winnipeg i i feel like there's some stuff to come out of winnipeg in the off season in terms of news because you had paul maurice leave saying that the team needed a different voice you had them trading some players, and yet they're they're still scrapping away. So if there was going to be a fourth team, I think it could be Winnipeg, but it's such a long shot that I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think you're looking at the three teams uh, that we've already um, illustrated. I actually am looking forward to see what Bruce Boudreaux can do in Vancouver um, for his first uh, full season uh, next year. I, I, I just think he had the, the, the room. He had that new jump for, a, for a, a coach, and then it just kind of petered out. But I think when you have your systems in place and everyone knows what's going on and all is, all is well, I think you're going to see a good team there. Um, as for Winnipeg... I, I don't even know what to make of what happened with uh, Paul Maurice because there was nothing other than Paul Maurice resigned. It just like came out of nowhere and was like, yeah, here we are. He's just gone and no other words other than the team needs a new voice. I agree with you 100%. I think there's going to be more that will come out of that. And what can you say about, about Daryl Sutter and the Calgary Flames? They're just on a tear. They're They're leading their division. Um, it, it's just been fun to watch them all year and watch that team who has lots of young talent and a uh, mix of some veterans, and it's just been fun to watch. Um, as for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I, I, guys, I don't know. 
I have no idea what to make of of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I've had no idea what to make of them for 31 years. It's I from from one night to the next. It's like watching Duckel and Hyde. I'm conflicted between: Do I want to see Tampa? Do I want to see Boston? I don't know what I want to see. I'm basically just going to hold my breath and say, "Okay, let's see what ha- happens here." Um, but other than that, it's just going to be let's turn on the TV for all of these Canadian teams and uh, and see what happens. Who is under the most pressure in those three teams that we have illustrated, Josh, as you chuckled a little bit? Oh, thank you for lobbing the fastball right down the middle. That has got to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have been on the Shanna plan for more than five years now. Uh, Kyle Dubas has stated numerous times that he believes he has a, a, a formula that can work for a winning team. Well, let's see it. Right now, we've seen nothing. And in, in terms of your, your comment about what to make of them, you asked me which teams would make the playoffs. You didn't say how far they would go. So I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf <laughs> fan. I want them to win a Stanley Cup before I die. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this year, but I would love it. And Josh, I I really don't think that the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, certainly they're on the hot seat, but nobody can be more on the hot seat than the coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Like they arguably have the first and second best player in the world over a year to year basis this year. I think it might be Marner and Matthews, but for all of the teams that they've had, for all the tinkering, for the defensemen that they tried to get in this year, uh, I think it needs to be the uh, you know the uh, Edmonton Oilers at the end of the day because you know they have such a, a apparently a great team and they've gone nowhere even uh, less than the Maple Leafs if you want to take a look at their first round series at least the Leafs have taken it to like seven games uh, Oilers not so much I think your best chance to win a Stanley Cup is the Calgary Flames enjoy watching it as the season winds down that is the end of our show for this week I'd like to thank Josh Watson Cam Jenkins I'd also like to thank our technical producer Matt Agnew our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen and our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Next week, we are not on the air. Enjoy your long weekend, and we'll be back with you in two weeks. Stay safe and be well.